Welcome to another Pitch Podcast. Uh, currently in an unusual location, we're in basically my heaven. It's the merchandise area of Adelaide United here at Cooper Stadium after our A-League men had the weekend off because of an international break where we saw former Red Cassini Yengi make his debut, which was wonderful. Joe Gauchi was there, Craig Goodwin was there, um, and our women, a very disappointing loss to Sydney FC at Martin on the weekend. But what the, the most beautiful thing about this is that I'm joined by a former skipper of the club who's back in South Australia. Stefan Mork, welcome to Podcast Wars. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Glad to be back in Adelaide and nice to be in the, uh, yeah, in the merchandise room. This is how we treat we, we We bring you back now and um, we can steal as much stuff later on. <laughs> um, this is good, mate. So what are you back in Adelaide for? Just talk us through that whole thing at the moment because is your season finished in Japan? Yeah, so we, we didn't make the playoffs, so we finished a little bit earlier than what I was expecting which was probably a good thing from the other reason why I'm, I'm back here now and not going on holidays because my wife's pregnant. She's due, well, she's 38 and a half weeks. So any, any moment the baby could come and if I was in the playoffs, then it would have been one to two more weeks away. So I possibly could have missed the birth and that wouldn't have been great. So not good for football, but great for, uh, I guess, the, the next stage of, of you know, life, of becoming a dad. I'll definitely be here for the birth unless it comes... Right now, and I'm here in this, in this <laughs> merchandise Imagine room. That. And you can't the leave the podcast. You're committed to the podcast. So did, was she over in Japan with you at all? Yeah, so she was there up until 32 weeks. And then she could and travel back yeah. and then not fly. So they said 32 to, I think, or 31 to 33 weeks is the ideal time to come back. Yep. 32 weeks she came back and has just kind of picked up, you know, we, she already had the obstetrician here lined up. Um, so she was more comfortable. We could have had the baby over there, but yep. the issue was getting the passport. It's not as simple as, you know, just, you know, getting a baby on a plane. You know, the passport could have taken three months. Um, a lot of procedure of, you know, sending the documents to mm. Australia. They need a ticket off. It's, yeah, it would have been such a hassle. So we're more comfortable. I've got six, seven weeks off now. Back in Adelaide, it's the best time to be here, summer. So we'll, we'll have the baby here and Carla's family, my family will be here to, to help us as well, which is always nice. Have you had a conversation with the dog yet? Because <laughs> this is a, a controversial thing because when you have a dog, you basically think you are never going to love anything or anyone more than the dog. And speaking from experience, it naturally changes. You hold on as long as you can. But if you started to have the conversation, there's also things like telling your dog that you're going to have a baby and you can play audio of like babies crying in your house so they get used to it. We haven't. We haven't done done the done the, the babies playing. We were at Nick and Nadine's with uh, baby Noah the other day, and she didn't seem too phased by the baby. But I think she didn't care either. She was just worried about the food on the table. So I reckon we were actually saying it yesterday. You know, oh, you're the you're the prettiest girl, blah blah blah. But if we have a baby girl because we don't know what we're having, I don't know. Does it does the baby go on par with Sasha, or is Sasha still a bit ahead? No. As you've said, probably <laughs> naturally changes, but it will be it will be actually be really hard because you know I've been away as well for for ten months without seeing Sasha, and that's my my first baby, and now you have the second one, and yeah, the dog can she can live on her own. She's self sufficient as long as I give her a bit of food, or she can probably catch yeah. her own anyway. Where the baby can't leave her for a minute, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it'll be tough. I'm sure she'll uh, she'll be okay, or hopefully anyway, or maybe she hates us. Having a dog <laughs> is the greatest uh, like journey of learning before you have a kid as well. So that's the transition, and no one has cats because cats are shit. Yeah, um, I agree. <laughs> my wife had a cat 
Vale, and that's okay. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about what's going on in a moment and also talk about it's almost 12 months ago to the day you and I shared a kebab in Doha. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah, yeah. Which we can talk about, but we're celebrating Adelaide United's um, 20th anniversary. And you made your way to the club at a really good time, which was wonderful. And it was such a strange year, I reckon, back in 2015 16 when we won the championship. Because correct me if I'm wrong, was it, was it Jimmy Jago who left the club and you made your way in? Yeah, so they were bringing me back because Osama Malik wanted to go to City. Yep. And then Adelaide were like, well, we want a player. And Melbourne City didn't want to let me go, but I was off contract and I was playing on the wing at that stage at City because Aaron Moy was as the number eight, number 10. And then I thought, well, I'm going to compete against Jimmy. And then when I got here, then I realised that he was about to get sold anyway. So mm. the club, that's the reason probably why they wanted me um, specifically. And he left and then I came in. And that's um, history then follows on from that because Aussie leaves and, and Jimmy leaves and then a few months later you're a, a championship player which is amazing and um, uh, even some of those guys that were part of that squad are some of my closest friends and they talk about that era and we talk about um, Josep Gombau the year before but then Guillermo taking over Um it's interesting talking to Javi Lopez about Guillermo Amor because I don't think we uh, appreciate the true talent of Spanish footballers that we had as players, but also the influence that he had and his pedigree and what he's been able to do. It's pretty amazing when you look back on it and you think that he was your coach. <laughs> yeah, I, I think just the you know the nature of him, you know, he doesn't have not in a bad way. He doesn't have this presence or this aura of like a a king or a superstar. Where if he's in Barcelona. You know, people are, you know, kissing his feet. And for us, it was like, oh, he's played a lot of games in in Spain. You know, he's a top, top, obviously, player. But for us, he was just a really normal guy. He was a good coach, good guy. And you just, yeah, you, you just wanted to play well for him because he was such a nice guy, to be honest. And um, that probably, I guess, is one of the reasons why they turned things around. I didn't see a lot of the... You know, the stuff behind the scenes but when, when they were struggling and losing. Um, but normally, if you lose that many games, the players will turn on the coach and they'll mm. want the coach out because players are selfish. We want to win. We want to get moves. We want to get a better contract where if you're losing, that doesn't happen. So because the players stuck behind him and turned it around, I think that shows what type of guy he is and that he was a quality coach as well. So do you think, and I want to use the example of Nick Montgomery at Central Coast because he wins the championship last season, then he leaves. The incoming coach almost needs to have a similar, if not the same philosophy than Nick Montgomery does to keep the momentum going. So do you think that that was one of the things that helped Guillermo following that philosophy that um, Josep has introduced? Um, whereas in 2015-16, in, I mean this in the most respectful way possible, he didn't necessarily need to coach as such. He just <laughs> needed to make sure that you guys kept going the way you were going. Yeah, and I think that's probably the other one that really gets forgotten is, is Gombau and the work that he did. You know, when he first came in, same thing. He was really struggling. Everyone wanted him out in the media anyway. and um, But you could see what he was trying to implement. And then by the time he left, he got an opportunity to go. Guillermo steps in. And I think what helped was he was already, one, they both were from Barcelona, so the same sort of style. But Guillermo was there the season before, I think, as a advisor or in the football department. So he kind of knew what was going on. He knew the players. And it was, without seeing it firsthand, a seamless transition. And he just had to keep keep going with what Josip had kind of put down as the foundations. And it all clicked in that last six months. Um, timing with when I came, not sure if it was just that. But um, 
I think, yeah, all of that work for three years, you know, finally comes in. And, and same with Montgomery at Central Coast. You know, the first couple of years was struggling and probably before that mm. was Alan Sajic. He laid the foundations of changing things. Montgomery comes in. But now you look at it, the, the new coach, um, I think it's Mark Jackson. Yep. It's not simple to take over a team, even if they're going well. Um, so Guillermo still needs to get a lot of uh, plaudits for, for being able to yeah, make us become, become champions. Nesta, over the past fortnight, has been announced that they've agreed to terms with Bayern Munich. Goody's gone to Saudi Arabia. You're a player who has had experience a couple of times of moving overseas. Can you talk us through how it all happens? So... Um, the original initial conversation and the understanding of where you might be going, the role that you play, the role that an agent plays, because I know that Nest has been um, front page of international <laughs> news over the past week, but it's not as simple as he's there, he's going in June or July, and then he's going to play first team football at Bayern Munich. Um, what's your experience of the whole transactional process like? Yeah, I think it's um, it's a really exciting thing and probably something – you know, which is good to talk about now is that a lot of the fans don't really understand how it works. So there's probably different scenarios how it can play out where, you know, you may you have an agent potentially and that agent gets in contact with teams. He's trying to shop you around. You may have a buyout clause. You might not. So he'll go to the club. So a buyout clause means they need to reach that yep. amount for you actually to look at the possibility of yep. moving. Unless so, they're not going to, don't worry about it. Well, the club could agree a lower figure. But Adelaide, for example, if the buyout clause was, for argument's sake, 500000 for Nesta, which it would have been higher. If a club reaches that, reaches that sorry, the club can't stop him from going. If it's okay. below that, they can... If they said 400000 we're happy to take it, no problems. But you can't force your way out because yep. they haven't reached that. Where That's why a lot of players like to have that figure in there because they know when they're talking to clubs or the agent's talking to clubs, they can say, this is the, the amount you need to hit. The player will then be able to go. So I think you know you get called then as a player, the agent saying, well, we've got this team interested, this team interested. Is it, is it a good option? And a lot of clubs will say we're interested. It's one thing to say you're interested and it's another thing to, uh, to actually kind of send through an official yeah. offer and be like, these are the wages. So it goes from, all right, they can pay the transfer fee. Now what are my wages? So they're very different, right? So I think a lot of people yeah. uh, may have got confused that aren't so connected to football. They would have seen Nestori's transfer fee, but that has nothing to do with his salary, right? No, nothing, okay. nothing to do with it. So in Asia, it can be a little bit different where the club might have, all right, this is a total package. We have... Um, you know, for Craig, probably $50 million. Yeah, Craig gets all of that. <laughs> and yeah. Craig gets all of that. But no, they'll have a total package and they'll say whatever the transfer fee is, minus that off your wages. Yeah. But in Europe, it's very different where, you know, they would have said, all right, we're happy to pay this for Nesta, whatever it was, the transfer fee, and these are your wages. Are you happy with it? Yes or no? Um, and then you kind of got to go through and figure out well, what's the best fit. You know, wages are important, of course, but, you know, all teams, he, he would have had every club in the world after him. So it was really choosing... Who's going to have the best pathway for me to get to the first team? And it's not in week one when he gets over there because, let's be serious, they've got top top internationals from anywhere in the world. You know, Harry Kane has been bought for $100 million. You know, if Nesta walks in there, it's like, who's Nesta? Yeah. You know, so you've got to kind of understand and think, you know, this is a great club to be at, but... I guarantee you they've probably got a three-year plan, a four-year plan. They've signed him on that deal. He probably goes on loan to a team in a lower league, whether it's Germany, Switzerland, Austria, that they probably have links with. He can keep progressing as a player because games are important. And then maybe the following season he does pre-season. And then if he does really well, all right, you stay with the first team. If you're still struggling, maybe you go on loan to a second Bundesliga team. So 
I guarantee that's what would have been said to him. And hopefully the agents that were advising him helped him make those decisions because, you know, he's a 17 year old kid and, um, no disrespect to his family, but they've never been in this situation before. So how can they advise him on something that they've never been a part of before? So that's where you're paying your agent these fees to actually get you one, the best deal, but also push you and advise you on what is going to be the most, I guess, uh, important step in your career is choosing that team. Because if you make the wrong decision, it could go downhill very quickly. Because he wants to play as well, doesn't he? So there's a difference between where a lot of players at the back end of their career are going to Saudi because there's money there, absolutely. You're not playing the best standard of football, but you're going to play, you're going to get paid well. But for someone like Nesta, he needs to be playing football. And I... I look sometimes, I get fascinated by looking at people's Wikipedia pages <laughs> that have had 15-year careers playing professional football, but I look at how many games they have played professionally for many clubs. Some people have been involved in professional football for 15 years, and they haven't played 100 games collectively yeah. for the teams they've been a part of. Because you immediately think you're going to play every game at every team, but it, it doesn't work like that, hey? No, like, and I think... The biggest thing from Australia to Europe and even Asia, to be honest, in Japan, like in Japan, our squad's 30 players. Mm. So in Europe, it's the same. It's probably even bigger, to be honest, because they've got a f- squad of 40, maybe. Bayern's might be 50. And then they loan maybe 20 players out or you go into the second team. So, you know, just because you sign for the club, of course, they're going to tell you everything you want to hear because they want to sign you. But you have to kind of think about it for yourself and maybe read between the lines and think, is this a good is this a good club where I actually can progress? Because if you're not playing games, you do go backwards. And the best thing about the A-League right now is that young players are getting minutes. And that probably hasn't happened you mm. know, until the last two or three seasons. And that's what stagnated a lot of players. So now Nesta has an opportunity to go over there. He doesn't need to play for Bayern Munich straight away, but he just needs to go somewhere where he can still play games. Even if it's in Bayern Munich's second team in the third or fourth division, it's still improving himself. It's maybe not as high of a standard as the A-League, but he's adapting to the German life. But maybe it might be he goes to Switzerland where they speak German or Austria. So you're still adapting to the life. You're at a good level. Um, but if you don't play games, it becomes very hard to, to improve. And he's got the potential, in, in my opinion, to be probably the best ever Australian player. Um, I wasn't around when Harry Kuehl was young. So I don't know how good he was when he was 17, 18, besides watching you know, Premier League highlights. Yeah. But his ability is like I've never seen before in a young player. And when he came through at 15, it was the same as what it is now. Now he's just producing it more consistently, but he should only get better. He should only get stronger, more mm. powerful. And if you're playing and training with world-class players, you, you go up to that level. So it's exciting. And also at the same time, it's kind of scary with how good he can be. And for Australian football and for Adelaide United, it's it's great because now we're, we're always going to be talked about on the world stage. If he breaks through it by Munich... They're always going to talk about, you know, when you're watching them, ah, Adelaide United products. So it's pretty pretty special for the club. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch his journey. Just finally on the that process, are there lots of cowboy agents that try and take <laughs> advantage of young footballers, though, that um, – and I've even had agents contact me before, not to play, obviously, or to <laughs> MC, but, hey, I notice you do stuff at Adelaide United. Um, can you connect me with this potential player? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> But, like, there'd be lots of people that don't have the best intention for the player, right? Because they'll get a, they'll get a clip out of whatever they're selling for. Yeah. Well, I, I actually remember speaking to Nesta when he first came through and there was a couple of agents. I said, listen, you're, you don't actually have to – I think legally you're not allowed to sign anything until you're 16. Mm. But even then, you don't need to sign anything. Because as soon as you sign something, you're obviously giving your rights 
to that agent. So yep. only they can negotiate on your behalf. And if you're 16, you get approached and you're doing really well, like him. He broke through. You're going to have everyone kind of contacting you. But it's better just to say, you know what, I'm going to wait. Speak to me as much as you want. Get that relationship. And then you find the one that's the right fit for you, right mm. fit for your family. Because, you know, ideally you have the same agent for your whole career. And they're not just part of, you know, you in a business sense. They should be part of your family. They should be, you know, like a father figure almost helping you at that young age, helping you get the right deals because, um, you know, you're, you know, you're trusting them. And if you don't actually know them well enough, then yeah. they can just care about, you know, who's going to give me the biggest cut. You know, I've seen it before where a team will say, yeah, we want this player. We'll give him this wages. And they say, listen, we'll give you as the agent a bit of extra money if you get him here. So they maybe don't bring you another deal that was on the table from somewhere else because they think, well, I'm getting more money. So that's where... You have to be careful and if you sign too early, I think you can, yeah, you can kind of get cornered and then that's when big problems can happen and um, in the world of football, people uh, people love just to get a, I guess, a free ride if they yeah. can get a bit of money here or there and um, I've, yeah, I've seen some bad stuff happen and it seems like the Nesta deal without knowing too much, it seems like it went pretty seamlessly mm. and it's all good. Um, but there's been other deals where it hasn't gone that way and young players, you know, they listen to an agent because he's saying all this stuff, the right things. Um, but that's why it's good you speak to a few different people and speak to maybe maybe people in, in the football world, whether it's other players, whether it's coaches, because they've been around, they've had that experience. So for any young players out there, ask for advice. And for parents that haven't been in football before, don't think that just because what the agent's saying is is true. You know, he's going to say whatever he want, mm. needs to say to get you to sign with him. Speak to a few other people because you, the last thing you want to do is commit. And then if you've got a two or three year deal and then you end up having to pay this person out or he could block deals. So it's um, yeah, it's a bit of a, a, a crap world in that sense. But at the same time, you need the agents to get certain deals yeah, done. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you just have to pick the right one, don't you? Uh, Japan for you. Had you been over to Japan before playing in Japan? Uh, I actually hadn't. I think I've been almost every other country in Asia with the with the junior national teams, but I'd actually never been to Japan. So yeah. And the experience for you, did you take an appreciation, because you've played overseas before, um, of you wanting to connect with not just English-speaking people, um, but also players that you might have a familiarity with. So I know that you've got a good relationship with Mitch Juku who is over in Japan, but do you now have an appreciation for, say, like when the Spanish boys come over to Australia, they, they do hang out together because it's familiarity for them? Yeah, massively. When I was younger and I went to Holland, it was a little bit different because – you know, they speak perfect, probably mm. better English there than most uh, most people in Australia, yeah. to be honest. So you could get away with that. And even the players that didn't speak a lot of English, um, their English was really good, you know, where compared to, you know, my Japanese is, is terrible. So you do understand. And when you used to think of the foreigners, ah, oh, this guy's no good. He's not a good player. But you know what? Playing football, it's not just about your ability. It's are you comfortable off the field? Mm. Do you have friends? Do you, you know, your wife, is she comfortable, your kids? So for the Spanish players coming in here, like you like you touched on, I completely understand it more so now. And having probably three or four of them actually makes sense from a club's perspective because then you know they're all going to get along. So they feel more comfortable and you don't want them to separate completely from the team, but it probably allows them to straight away get comfortable and then they can slowly integrate. They can learn English together and... Um, and it's it's a lot easier that way because you know even Hiroshi he's he's been in Spain so he speaks a bit of Spanish which helps he speaks a bit of English so he's not your typical Japanese but 
in the city I was in, in Okayama, no one speaks English. Mm. And even the players, like the conversations we would have, if, if anyone was listening, they would think we're all very simple people because I'm speaking broken English. That, so do you have a translator there? Yeah, we have a translator. And will they, will they sit next to the manager to give you instructions if you need it? So he's sitting behind me in the team meeting. So okay. literally I'm facing you right now and he's behind me. So my eyes are kind of in the back of my head trying to yep. listen to him, which is a, it's a new skill. And that's the other thing. We don't have that here in Australia. Mm. So if I'm going out, you know, football's pretty simple. But when you have a training drill, a passing drill, a possession, and they, they put in small rules, if you go to a new team, you're uncomfortable anyway. But if you don't understand what the drill is, it's very difficult to actually kind of, you know, call for the ball because you're, and you don't know the players' names either. Japanese names are very hard. Yeah. They all sound quite similar to me. Yeah. So I'm like, I can't actually call the ball, call for the ball from this guy because I don't know his name. And I don't know, is it two touch or did he say it's two touch than one? Like these small little things that actually... Simple in Australia, I don't think twice about it because you speak English. But over there, it's it's a challenge. Mm. So now I'm settled, it's easy. Um, you know the training drills, but you know you see yeah, the foreigners come in here and I have a higher level of respect for them. And the ones that do well here, um, yeah, even more so because they've invested. You know, Issa, you know, he's, been, he's probably going to be here forever. And yeah. Australia is the best country, I think, in the world. So if they can settle in, I don't reckon they'd ever want to leave. Um. In, in regards to the the football in Japan, do you think there's become more of an, a, an appreciation for Australians and Australian players because of what Ange was able to do, what Muskie's been able to do, what Mitch Duke? I remember, like, it was hilarious. After Australia defeated Tunisia, um, I'm walking around the Sukwa Keef and there's this <laughs> Japanese bloke going, Mitchell Duke! Mitchell Duke! <laughs> I've got it on video, which I can show you later, but I feel like the Australian impact has allowed... Um, people like yourself to be more welcomed and understood instead of who's this Australian bloke they don't play football well over there to wow we've got an Australian yeah definitely I I would say the one thing that I love so much about the Japanese is they as long as you kind of immerse yourself in their culture and make an effort with the language and try and connect Mm. with the fans they love you like they adore you it's it's a different thing where if I walk down the street here and someone the other day said oh are you Stefan Moore oh no shakes my hand where over there they'll be running up to me like a 40 year old man shaking like uh shashing shashing which means photo and he's literally shaking taking this photo and I'm like this is unbelievable like for me to give that joy to him but that's the the difference I guess with people but also then they know Mitch Duke was playing in Japan so they now associate Mitch Duke as yeah. he's also Japanese. So I want to support him. Like there was people at the game, you were too busy being the MC, but I was, I was sitting with the family and friends, and there was a couple of Japanese people around there saying, "Ah, uh, Mitch Duke, he used to play for S Pulse." Um, so we wanted to come to this game to support him. And I'm thinking, if a Japanese player played for Adelaide United and an Aussie was at the World Cup, they're not thinking, "I'll go and watch." Mm. you know japan they they may but it, it wouldn't be the same level of like love they have for the player and that's what's really special and because australians have gone there and done well and i think we are pretty good people most of us anyway so we try and connect with them and is really good at connecting with the fans you've got musket that's doing really well there juki mitch langerax there doing well so i think they they have a higher level of appreciation for us and also we probably 
um, understand when we go to their country, we have to change our ways a little bit to connect with them and make the effort. And they, they really love that. And I love that because that's really important. And I know for a fact how, how beautiful the Japanese people are and what they were doing at the World Cup were cleaning up after themselves. That's not just for show. That's naturally no. them, which is wonderful. Um, uh, I'm going to ask about your podcast in a second with Ben Garuccio. I wanted to uh, ask you one more thing about overseas football life. Would this be an incorrect statement that People playing football overseas like yourself, there's a fair percentage of them, not saying it's a majority, that don't actually love it, but they know they have to do it, which is a representation of um, where Australian football is at at the moment, where financially uh, we're not uh, remunerated probably where the footballers should be because you're the best in the country at doing it and you have to make sacrifices. But some of those boys slaving away in Scotland or in <laughs> countries that they don't want to be in, it's not a want, it's a have to while you can. Yeah, I, I think that's the hard thing with, with football because it's the world game. You know, Australia is a great place to play. But if you want to make it, there's probably two elements to it. You go to a lower league in Europe because you want to be in the shop window where Australians now slowly it's becoming mm-hmm. better because of people like Nesta and, you know, Quoll and um, Cassini Yangi's moved. Like these players that have made the jump. So the other leagues kind of trust us more and probably also with technology. You know, you've got Scout, you can watch any game, you can look at the statistics. So they can see all of this stuff. So they can actually compare the leagues where before it was just Australia's shit. Yeah, I don't yep. care if I watch a game and it's good standard. I don't trust that. Where if I go to Sweden and watch a game, even if it's lower quality, I can watch it. I can see it with my own eyes. They're yeah. not going to fly 24 hours to come and watch a game here. So I think there's two elements to it where players make the jump there. But I think players also now, if we were paid better here, and if the standard were kept getting better and the facilities were all world-class, you would maybe stay here for longer and try and get a big move. You know, where players leaving from Japan, majority of them are going to bigger teams. You know, mm-hmm. they might go to a Celtic where our players, instead of going to, I don't know, uh, where did uh, St. Mirren, you know, Keanu Bacchus. No offense to St. Mirren. Yeah, but I know what you mean. It's, yeah. you know, the wages, he's probably getting less wages there than what he would in Australia. But as you said, he's in the shop window. But he's in the shop window yeah. where... If Australia had a better reputation, instead of him going to St. Mirren, maybe a team comes in like Celtic for $2 million for him and they're happy to pay it. So I think we need to keep working on that because keeping players here longer and driving their value up is better because it means the clubs get more money, which means they can put it in. But also, you know, if you want to take that plunge, that's where it becomes hard. And then people like myself and Juki, when he left to go to Japan, you know, you're not going to Japan for any other reason besides really money, to be honest. Of course, or it's... Or sushi, because yeah, the or, <laughs> sushi's great. I love sushi. The sushi is great, yeah. and it's fresh, straight straight from Tokyo down to Okayama, and you can taste the difference. Do you have wasabi? Yes. Yeah, same. Yeah, I love it. My, my Mrs. Carla hates it, so she's like, wasabi nush, wasabi. Yeah. And it's... Uh, I don't know if they understand me, but it's worked out all right so far. But the... Um, yeah, I think going to Asia, although the standard is unbelievable in Japan, I didn't realize how good it was going to be, and I'm glad mm. I did do it. But if my wages were on par, like I was saying at the time to my agent, if Adelaide matched the contract, I'm not going to leave yeah. because I love it here. I was captain of the club. This is my hometown. I love it here. But if the wages are a lot better, you're like, well, I'm not going to turn down that money. And the difference, I guess, also in Japan and a lot of Asian countries is if I play well, my contract can get doubled. If I play well again, it's doubled again. Like The money is, is, is so much bigger if you perform. We're in the A-League. You've probably got your your capacity. If I do a real, if I sign for Adelaide United tomorrow on a good contract and I score fifteen goals, Player of the Year, is my salary going to change much? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So for a player, you know, you have to weigh that stuff up. And the older you get, you think, well, I need to set myself up. And like Craig, 
same scenario. You know, he I guarantee he wanted, well, I know he wanted to stay here, but also from the club's point of view, they're thinking we get a good transfer fee and he gets his wages five times bigger so he can set his family up. And that's where if Adelaide could match that or get probably closer to it, maybe whatever it was, he would have stayed. But there's all these financial restrictions that the clubs have to be under because you have to be responsible. Otherwise, the club goes bankrupt. There's also the beauty that you can come back. So um, when you finish your time in Japan, do you look at Australia and go, I want to finish in Australia? Or do you go, I want to finish at Adelaide? Yeah, I would say I want to finish Adelaide, to be honest. Like, I'll, back in Australia, things have to align because, again, yep. you've got the salary cap. Well, the salary cap is there, but it's more a individual cap on each team, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, the way it works now. But, you know, if there's players in my position doing well, Adelaide can't just come and get me. Hopefully, and I know they always would with the relationship we've got, but things have to align because you might have another team that says, we'll pay you double. Yep. And you don't want to go, but that's... That's, I guess, the the reality of the way it is in Australia at the moment. Um, hopefully, I've got another good couple of years over in Japan and then come back. But football's a, a funny game and you never know how quickly things can change. And, and having a young family might change my uh, my view on things. But ideally, I'm playing till I'm 35, 36 and come back here and have a good three, four years and um, win another couple of championships. That would be... Uh, That'd be very nice. There, the best way to finish off. <laughs> um, before we let you go, so you and Ben Garuccio are taking over the podcasting <laughs> world. Tell everybody what it's called and how we can listen to it. Yeah, so um, Football Friends with Ben and Steph is is the podcast. Um, we we kind of just thought, well, it was mainly me. I spoke to him and just said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to podcasts every day over in Japan because I've got no one to speak to. So this makes me feel like I'm interacting with people. But there's not a lot of Australian football podcasts. Obviously, mm. you've got the one here. Um, but there's not there's not a lot that are out there. So I was like, I want to listen to that. Like, I actually want to know what's going on a bit behind the scenes. So I said to him, would he be interested? And he was pretty keen. Um, and then put it out on, on Twitter or X now it's called. And, and it seemed like there was enough people that were interested. So we thought, you know what, let's just try and do it. We spoke to a few different people that can help produce it. Um, because we got no idea with that stuff and there's a lot more that goes into it than yeah. what you actually think. It's not just, you know, put your iPhone there, record you speaking um, and away you go. So we've tried to do it as professional as possible and it's been, it's actually been really good um, to kind of see something different. I've always liked kind of dabbling in different things to see what I want to do when I finish playing football um, and maybe, you know, we'll be, uh, we'll be on the radio together one day. Absolutely. Well, I love <laughs> that you're doing it because I think um, player insight, you can't, fabricate and you can't make up there's a lot of experts that are just talking about their experiences when they were playing but dynamics change and um i think what you do really well is you you're courageous to actually give an opinion which is really important too because um i'm quite vanilla and i'm i'm too scared to give opinions on things because i don't like bad things on social media but um to cover current issues and stuff i think is really good and do you find that that helps your mind tick over a little bit as well so you're actually having in-depth conversations then you can put it out publicly which ticks the box of like listener engagement too yeah i think so i think you know as a player we we're in a position of power because people do listen to us and you have to use that in the right way because some players use it in the wrong way um, but you have to be a role model, but also, you know, things that are hard topics that some people want to sit on the fence with, because, you know, if you're working for a, you know, Paramount, mm. you, you can't say things about Paramount because you're worried about your job. Or if you're working for Football Australia, you have to be careful. And I yep. understand that where I'm in a position where I'm out of the league, Ben's in the league, so it's a little bit more difficult, but also we can still have an opinion. And I think the fans love that. And hearing from a player who 
we're also fans. You know, we grew up loving the game. Yes, we play it and we get paid to play it, but we love the game as much as anyone else. And that's probably the biggest thing in what we try and get across is that we're passionate about improving the game. So anything we do say or talk about, we just want the game to get better. Mm. It's not as if we're trying to have a go at someone because they're, we think they're incompetent. It's just that we think that maybe things could be better. There's also a lot more that goes on behind the scenes that we don't know about in the admin side of things. So we understand that. But if we can kind of also then show other players' personalities like Mitch Duke, everyone knows him as the player. And I spoke on the last episode with him. He got so much hate on social media. Like it was, you know, it's really hurtful. And even for me, like, you know, a friend seeing that stuff. And I'm like, I can't understand this. Like, and his mum's sending him screenshots and you know, it's hurtful for the family and they need to understand the player in person is different. Yep. But people take it too far and, you know, he was a scapegoat. Everyone hammered him. Everyone was hammering, hammering Graham Arnold and then to see him score that goal and the joy on his family's face, on his son's face, on his face was, was I'm getting goosebumps now to be honest, talking about it. Um, I loved how he celebrated yeah. the other night as well when he was uh, at Amy yeah. Park when he scored the first of his goals. Yeah. He celebrated the same way yeah. and that took me back to <laughs> Al Janoub against Tunisia oh, and I'm like, wow, that's it, sick. It, it's, it's just a special thing and, and hopefully the fans, they can still, I want them to be critical because the more fans that are talking about football shows they're interested, which means hopefully they're watching the games, mm. which means they're paying for subscriptions, which means we get more advertisement. I get how the business works. So we want them to talk about it. We want them to be critical of the player, but no, there's, there's a line and... Um, you know, if Mitch Duke's getting picked in the Socceroos, the, you know, he's he's obviously not a shit player, as mm. everyone likes to say, because Graham Arnold's obviously a good coach and he's picking him and he's scoring. And I think he just broke Mark Viduka's record yep. the other night. Not saying he's better than Mark Viduka, yeah, but, I know what you, mean, you know, man. if you're scoring international goals, you're a decent player. So I, I love being able to show that. And we had Borello on yesterday, which will come out on Thursday. And, you know, just showing a different side of him which is really cool and people or players or whoever we get on, I think they feel more comfortable speaking to us rather than in a proper interview where yeah, they have they to be. because they sometimes have a gender. Yes. And you, you question what are they going to ask and how is this going to be used? It's like this what we're doing now and that's why I never – like I love the media and I respect journalists but if I was having a chat with you as a journalist, you could be forgiven for thinking what's he going to use to clickbait yeah. me for this because that's the world we live in. Um, two very quick fire questions before you go. If you were coming back to Adelaide United – Tomorrow, SAS has your number. So, what number are you going to wear? I actually, I, I actually thought about this recently. Yeah, not saying that I'm looking to come back, but maybe 88. I could go for 88. Okay, and um. Um, I think that Ryan Kiddo named his child after George Blackwood. I think <laughs> so. Are you because there's a big dad's army there now with Benny Wallen just having another one. Nick Ansel having his kid. Um, are you going to name your kid Nestor or something or an Adelaide United thing? You know what? If it means that my kid's going to be as good as Nestor, I'll do it. I'll do it. Well, I love it, Steph. Welcome back. You're a, a former captain of the club, championship player, and um, you're. Your wife might be in labour right now, so we appreciate you giving us time on the Pitch Podcast and you're back. Uh, welcome back anytime, so thank you. Thanks very much. Awesome, bro. Cheers.